Truthfully, what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days. You were better off. Because nowadays, they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better. And less and less. And eventually, someone's going to be superb. Like nothing. Our education systems have mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. Hello listeners, welcome to the Chinese Education Podcast, episode 56. My name is Torin Elchtal. I'm a maths teacher at Dulwich High School in Zhuhai, China. Welcome back, Alex. Cheers. Which, of course, wasn't your name that you just introduced no, yourself. No, no, <laughs> I was... Um, well, yeah, we've talked a lot about this. What about what to call you? I mean, exactly that. I thought I, you'd think it would I, be easy, wouldn't you? I, I will say I do have a lot of names. and Most positive, it, of course, mostly. And certainly our friendship makes it a lot of taking the mick out of those names. <laughs> well, well, anyway, Alex. Never mind. Anyway, Alex or, or Torin, as you introduced yourself. I like Torin. I, 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 like, I, I prefer Alex. It's really funny because I didn't. I was raised as Alex, but Torin is my first name. It's really bizarre how that whole story came about. Well, it's great to have you back in Thank the you. studio. Um, to all those listeners out there who might know Alex or Torin or, or Tull or <laughs> not this again, Elvis Pope the Third. I don't know. He of course did the um, actually a, a well um, received mini series we did uh, titled how ignorant are you not meaning how ignorant you are of course but how ignorant we all are as um as human beings in this world and, and we were looking at some of the world issues and seeing really the how much we think we knew about them and how much we really didn't know about them and really getting down to the facts weren't we so that that was fun and of course listening to that great feedback we wanted to get you back in the researchers wanted to give you a china dedication interview where we're just going to nail you now onto the post <laughs> please don't <laughs> i mean you say nail there's a few different ways of speaking <laughs> and we're going to talk about your um ascent into becoming a, a teacher and that's of course how we came across you uh here today in in juhai so let's let's go with the first question we always tend to ask our teachers in Asia, Alex, Al Torin, um, or, or how about just Al? Um, Al, <laughs> what brought you to China, Al? Um, I, what brought me, just coincidence. Um, Complete coincidence, yeah. So some friends of mine, we, some friend. so when I was teaching back in Bristol, some friends of mine who I trained with, they were looking to go into international teaching, as was I, and by chance we all interviewed for the same company, um, and they all gave us jobs in, and the same company gave us different gave, gave us jobs in different cities, and I thought, well, actually, this company has got opportunities across Asia, and I want to go travelling, I want to experience international teaching, I want to go see this side of the world, 
well, this sounds like a no-brainer. I must, I have to do this. So the original position then for this company wasn't in China? No, it was actually, it was exactly Zhuhai, Harajai. Oh, it was? It was, yeah. Just by complete chance then? Yeah, so they, so my friends when my friends got offered a job in uh, Harajai and Jen, um, and what caught my attention really towards the company was like all these opportunities over there, like, you know, they're expanding education in all this sort of like British education is expanding in Asia, you know, in Japan and Indonesia, Mm -hmm. China, Thailand, Vietnam. Oh, excuse me. The list goes on. That's the fizziness of the um, soda you're drinking, isn't it? It is, it is. Couldn't be anything else. Um, So, Alex, it's interesting how many people actually say they came to China by coincidence. As if they didn't really ever want to go there in the first place, but then it came and then they were glad they did, yeah? Oh, absolutely. So, going back to then, uh, and and we'll come to that later, about what then fed you into meeting this company that coincidentally then placed you into Zhuhai. Um, Going back in time, where were you actually educated then? Where where did this kind of story begin? Uh, Let's go right back to um, when you were at primary school, for example. Where would that have been? So, primary school was uh, Blake... (laughs) Blakeney Primary School in the middle of the Forest of Dean, a very, very, very small and very old primary school where my year group um, had seven kids. Whoa. Just seven kids in my year group. Size of my family. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy how small it was. Um, I did go to a primary school before that, but I can't really remember it very well. But like in terms of my primary school education it was Blakeney primary school and then and that was in the middle of Forest of Dean I was born and raised as I wasn't I was raised in the Forest of Dean for anyone that doesn't know the Forest of Dean of course is very close to where Fred West buried all of his wives under the house right I don't know that story, but that makes it sound even worse than the place it actually is. Because <laughs> I well, remember I... <laughs> as a teenager driving up there in my Talbot Horizon, and we made sure, because we were camped in the Forest of Dean, which is very close to the Welsh border, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Being from the southwest, we thought, well, we'll just pay a little trip to Fred West's house, because, of course, there's this big kind of thing about Fred West. Um, and this is all true. If you look up Fred West, there was a, the edge of this uh, terraced place... Um, was the place that they found all of these dead bodies, uh, one of which was Fred West's wife. So we drove past there and it was kind of like a bit rainy and dark and then we head to the Forest of Dean. But you've never heard of Fred West. Maybe they kind of no. psychologically <laughs> take well, away the, the, the memories. The only thing I know about, in terms of what makes the Forest of Dean famous, was it was the hunting ground for Henry VIII. And... It's become a big uh, and Clearwell Caves. So Clearwell Caves is a part in the Forest of Dean where they do a lot of the filming for uh, Doctor Who and a lot of British TV series Mm -hmm. where if you're doing any sort of cave work, they will often go to this place. Um, Other than that, I think it's been mentioned in Harry Potter a couple of times. But that's only over the last 10, maybe 20 years where it's sort of like got a little bit more interest. Ultimately, the Forest of Dean is just like mountain biking and camping. That's about it. That's the only thing it's really known for. But I lived there growing up, and then I went to school, secondary school, in Wales. So I crossed the border into Wales every day, 
uh, Monmouth Comprehensive School, um, where I was, because it was a school in Wales, mm -hmm. I had to learn Welsh. Ah, isn't it? Wasn't it lovely for you? No, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm not very good not very good with languages, and I. In fact, the year that I joined the school, when I came to my GCSEs, I was the first year where it became compulsory for students to do Welsh as a GCSE. So I have a GCSE in Welsh oh, as word. a second language. Completely pointless. <laughs> but you had to do it. But I was told I had to do it, yeah, because I was I was in school in Wales. It didn't matter that I was an Eng that I was an English person or born in England. It was you are in Wales and you're doing school in Wales. You have to do this GCSE. So how long were you at, at, at that school till then? Yeah, till you were 16. From seven, So from 16 all the way through to sixth form. Okay, to sixth form there as well. Yes. In Wales. Uh, in Wales. So my brother, was, my brother went to this school. In fact, all my siblings went to this school. But um, my brother found this school because of the sixth form. And the sixth form and the school and the town was really well, was really good. Um, the town itself, Monmouth, is like a bit of a posh area Monmouth, so to speak yeah it's a bit of a posh area but like certainly the history there is and the academics it's fairly quite good i think the things in the area so there's like four rowing clubs there's four there's like four rowing clubs there's the comprehensive school and then there's a boys private school a girls private school um so was yours a co-ed you, mine was the comprehensive yeah. i didn't <laughs> i didn't come from we were we were middle class we were okay Definitely not um, private school material. Okay, so just I'm just showing listeners. Um, Alex, uh, do you know this face? This is Fred West, um, and his his famous wife Rosemary West. And uh, I have got it a bit wrong, but he was basically an English serial killer, and he committed at least twelve murders between 1967 and 87 in Gloucestershire. Yeah, that's the still the area, though. Yeah, the majority with his second wife Rosemary West. Now, all the victims were young women. At least eight of these murders involved the West's sexual gratification, dear me, and included, oh dear, rape, bondage, torture, mutilation, oh dear. And, and the victims' dismembered bodies were typically buried in the cellar or garden of the West's Cromwell Street house in Gloucester. That's where it is. We went to Cromwell Street. Gloucester's very close to Cl Right, and this. then That's... we went off and camped in the, um, in the Forest of Dean. And we put the tent behind my car and two of us slept in the tent and two of us stayed in the car. I was the driver, so I stayed in the car. And of course, what we didn't realise, and this is being teenagers, listeners, that I turned the engine on so we could heat ourselves up because it was cold. And the exhaust pipe fumes were going into the tent. And luckily, <laughs> oh, wow. um, well, you know, my friend kind of realised and came out and kind of said, look, what's going on? I can hardly breathe. So, yeah, that was a hell of a, um, a little trip. Um, he did fatally uh, asphyxiate himself while detained on remand at prison. But it seems like Rose was also convicted, his wife, of 10 murders and sentenced to 10 terms lives for a whole life. So they were both in it together. Um, gosh, you can only imagine how these human beings can go through such a thing. But I don't want to necessarily <laughs> equate I, that and link it to where you're from. But I it was, just came... 
I'm, I was, I'm glad you said that because I was getting really worried that this is what you're now fixating on. And you've even done some research about this person to show me during this interview that you've had with me. It's like, this is clearly a great representation of me that you're trying to portray. Well, and from the dirt and the, you know, the, the underwater lotus roots has blossomed a wonderful young chap such as yourself. And if we could go back to being in Wales and talk about our favourite teachers, because were you happy at school? You enjoyed school? Yeah, school was, um, I certainly, I, I mean, it's fair to say I was bullied at school for sure. I was... Um, oh dear, that's not... I mean, most kids are though. But the thing for me was because my brother went to school before and my brother, so my brother, for, in terms of sort of my dynamic, and I guess this is me opening up a lot in terms of my anxiety of things, but I, yeah. growing up, I was quite, often quite jealous of my older brother. So I was more, I was a, I was a bit more academic and a bit more... Uh, determined and motivated compared to my brother but my brother was a lot more sociable and he Mm -hmm. adapted much better in terms of social situations so when I joined the school as this I guess you could say nerdy kid whatever you want to say a lot of people called me a lot of my brother's friends called me Mini Mez Mez was my brother's name so they called me Mini him Mini me you'll complete me and pretty much it was all like you know the mini version of my brother and not just that because part of my surname is Tull I got the name Jethro a lot because of the singer Jethro Tull. You see, I've never yet. So, God, Jethro Tull. So there was a lot of sort of that bullying that came from there. But what does Jethro Tull sing? What He was, oh, what was the details? He was a singer in the 80s, I think. Good, good band? British, or... He was a British singer in the 80s, I think. I don't know the specifics, but where it all came from. But the thing was, like, there was a lot of that bullying. Yeah. I just sort of, like, Personally, yeah, British sorry, rock could. band formed in Blackpool, England in 1967. Jevro Toll initially playing blues, oh, 60s and 70s. rock and jazz fusion. The band soon incorporated elements. I mean, this is a guy who's quite cool by the look of it. It was so cool. Was the... I mean, let's be honest. If someone calls you something that you're remotely insecure about, yeah. that becomes basically the fixation. Regardless of yeah, how positive yeah. it is, yeah. that then becomes... Huh. Um, that just like becomes a big thing, and and that was only a big, th- that was only a huge thing because I was sort of questioning my sexuality and my gender for a long time, mm-hmm. and you know back then it was sort of the era of like you know it was almost negative to be gay or anything like that, and yeah there were insecurities around it for sure, but you know eventually after you know I was there, I came out with some quite some good quality friends. Good. Really, really positive experiences, to say the least. Went to university in Southampton. Which is a good good university. Yeah, it was a good. It was certainly a good university. Um, I did really, you study? So I did maths because <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. When, oh, yeah. I, when I did my A-levels, I did maths, further maths and physics. <laughs> kind of mathematically based. Because I was good at maths and I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I did maths, did that, did my degree... In terms of the modules I did for my degree, I tried to keep it a bit more flexible and a bit more open. I actually, in fact, did a module called Communicating and Teaching Mathematics, which was meant to be sort of like a pre-teach training qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of didn't, didn't really help too much. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to keep my options open as best I could. Did a couple of external qualifications. Did Camp America. And then... So that's... After, so that- so that's America, where you teach, where you work at the summer camps in America, and yeah, you okay, teach yeah. like outdoor skills yes, and stuff like that. After after graduating, in your camp, I guess. Yeah, 
so the summer camp I worked at was, I guess, sort of like a hint, a starting point for me to get into teaching because it was working huh. with young children. This is in between your uni degree, like in the summers, yeah? Yeah, in the summers. Um, and I found like, okay, I'm clearly building into relationships with these kids and all this stuff. In fact, there was one kid who I actually sort of became like really good friends with him, friends with him and with his family and all this stuff. Naturally, they tell you don't like add these kids on reach, don't add these kids on Facebook and all this stuff, <laughs> because you're in your early twenties and you don't care. Yeah. yeah, we did, and we were confident that the relationships we built, um, and for, fortunately for me, this one kid, this one relationship I developed with this ch- with this student, like he was really, he got really on well with me. Basically, he's like my little brother. He's about five years younger than me. And one year, this was like my second year I returned to the camp, he introduced his mum to me. Mm-hmm. I said, like, oh, this is Alex. Like, this is the guy I was telling you about for the last year. And she comes up, she's like, so you're the guy that my son has been talking about all this time. Like, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you. And I got to meet him. I got to meet to, got to meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mum's boyfriend, all this stuff. They were actually looking to help me get a job in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all quite crazy, just sort of like how the whole dynamic happened. Then it didn't really sort of happen because I was like just traveling and, you know, at the time I was just drinking and partying and all that stuff because <laughs> um, I'd finished my degree. Mm-hmm. Fell into a job in a call center. Because I was just trying to find something. To just back in, in back in the UK at this point. In, in Bristol. No, back in Gloucester, oddly enough. Okay. So live near, still near Cromwell Street. Twenty five. Let's not go back to that part. <laughs> what you were calling? But right? I was living certainly living living with my parents still. Okay. And I found a job in a call centre, an IT call centre. They gave me a chance because it was like. You know, you seem like a good. You seem like a good kid. You've got opportunities. Mm-hmm. We think while you're not very IT fluent, we're convinced that because of your qualifications and your experiences, we think you're going to be a good fit. Yeah, took it. Learned a lot from the job. Massively learned a lot. Um, and then I was just like not happy. Um, and then two weeks after my uh, probation, two weeks after my probation finished, I still said that wrong. Be at the call center or prison at the probation, probation, probationary pro- period. Probation. I still said it wrong. That period. Well, you don't teach English. It's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good pro- thing. There. Probationary English, yeah. Um, probationary period. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Tom. Um, I handed in my notice because I applied for the PGCE. Oh, okay. And I got an offer from Bristol. There you go. Okay, so that's what brought you. Did a did a PGCE at Bristol. Um, trained at a school in Wales, Chepstow School. And then I trained at Sidcot School, which is a Quaker private school. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's only like 10, maybe less than that. In Bristol? So, yeah, well, down Sidcot, like near Cheddar. Ah. So they come to Near Western Supermare. You know, in the kind of no, wooden... No, no, no. So the private... So this is the thing. Sidcot as a school was... While it was very Quaker and we did a lot of sort of like... We did the religious part in terms of the Quaker hmm. ceremony. I can't remember what it was called... It was sort of like a it was sort of like assembly, but it was a bit different. Basically, you'd all sit in a room and almost in like in complete silence for about twenty minutes. But if you felt like you needed to say something, you would just stand up and say it. Hmm. And it could be something inspirational. It could be something about you were feeling. But there was always like a theme. It's very difficult to explain, 
Um, so it was like, whatever the theme was, if it was like to do with like your journey or some quote, whatever that meant to you. And you were just, you know, sitting in this room in complete silence, thinking about it and reflecting on it. You would just stand up and say it and share that wisdom with the room, so to speak. Did you ever? I did not. I was very shy then. Cause it, I was... Sorry, if someone were going down, we're diverging here, but if someone did stand up, I mean, mm-hmm. I, this is I quite, this is quite cool I, I like the sound of this it was good um, but um, if any, sorry if anyone stood up and said something would there be a, then a counter someone nope. would just stand up you say your pete and then you sit back down and then complete silence again. Well, the silence yeah. will continue so the idea was that you would not build off what you would never challenge what you what someone was saying because the idea of the whole experience was it was basically like a giant circle time but with the entire school and in a complete meditative state um every week every week every friday at basically break time brilliant no one would giggle or anything no one would giggle because they they, like this was an old school there's like there's quite an old school but there wasn't many kids at that school probably maybe the same or double like no definitely no more than double the number of kids at harrow like Mm. total but obviously this is being a secondary school so talking about 500 or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And they had a primary school there as well. It was a very interesting school. The, um, and again, it was being private and all this stuff. It certainly showed me a lot in terms of... So from a religious perspective, I found it really interesting from a branch of Christianity. But just as a private school in general, there was a lot of education around that. Mm-hmm. Um. After that, I then fell into my first teaching job at Downing School in Bristol. Right, so Downing School in Bristol, right, yeah. So it's a bit more north, basically just between the M48 and the M4. Very specific, yeah. <laughs> and how did that, because um, you were there for... So technically in terms of the educational, in terms of the educational bit, it fell into the South Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire section. Here's a fun fact. Do you remember they did the educating series on Channel 4? Yes. So my educational trust got featured. They're good, those little documentaries, actually. They are good. So they, they did one on... Um, so the, my educational trust was CSET. Mm-hmm. Uh, S, uh, sorry, C-S-E-T. Um, my school was not featured because our school was the best out of the three, out of the four of them. Right. But they, they filmed at our school, but they never used the footage. But our school, our school might have been better than the other ones, but we had a lot of challenges. Yeah. So for the area, my school was a difficult chat was a different difficult school. So when I first joined the school, year seven was like oversubscribed. Like they my the year that I joined was like they were oversubscribed, and I think the year before they were oversubscribed as well. And you had you had so many really good kids at that school. But then if you were looking at the year elevens at the same time, these, <laughs> these kids these are kids who are like on all sorts of drugs. In fact, my first year of teaching, I had a my year ten class. There was a student I was teaching, a year ten girl, whose parents were drug addicts. Mm-hmm. So she was in a really difficult situation. So I think her story was her parents were doing heroin. Heroin. I think her mum was doing heroin while she was pregnant. Mm. So she was a very difficult child. There was some some progress I made with her, mm. 
but there wasn't there was also a lot of other difficulties in that class as well a lot of it coming from me being a brand new teacher and teaching a whole mm. teenage girl group this was very weird at the time they thought let's see how this goes let's split the year group for that year into boys and girls really weird for a middle ability year 10 group on their GCSE journey they split them into boys and girls and I got given the girls group as a young teacher as a young male teacher it was a very interesting dynamic because the very first interaction I had with this class they were lining up outside my classroom I was inside my classroom getting things ready and I could hear from the corridor I could hear the there's the chatter in the corridor as they're lining up I could hear them go oh we got a new teacher oh is he fit I could hear that and I just thought this describes what the year was going to be Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. wasn't in any danger point at that point luckily I sort of played in terms of my femininity and that whole relationship in terms of like makeup and all that stuff like I was able to relate to those kids in a different way Mm. and it sort of took them by surprise and it actually was working for a while it was really positive and long for a long time and then with this like girl with these drug drug issues from my family like that was sort of helping her a little bit because there's this different teacher you're used to this teacher who is very discipline focused and there was this teacher who had this personality and this Mm. charisma it's like hey Mm. that whole different side of it it helped but it wasn't sustainable because they you know the barrier in terms of where that boundary Mm -hmm. was the boundary was almost lost so were you were you that must have been a very challenging first proper year in teaching in yeah. that part of um, of England. But could you have stayed on there? Or, or, and then this came along, this opportunity, this company that placed you here. Um, no, I was almost, I was tempted to stay there. Yeah. So when I stayed there for a couple, I was there for three years. And in my third year, I was really upset to leave. But I knew if I, if I knew if I didn't leave, I would never leave. Because most of the teachers at that school either were students at that school or they were or they had been teaching for a very long time. Like they did their PGC placement there and they basically stayed there until they were heads of department or senior leadership. It was a really, oh, excuse me. It was a really weird dynamic, but it was such a positive school. So th- that girl, did she graduate? The one. I don't know. I think she got. I think she ended up getting removed from the school before. Okay. She finished. Yeah, big big challenges she had to face. Um, Alex, Torin, <laughs> Torin <laughs> out. Going back, we earlier mentioned you know there were some challenges for you 
in school, um, let alone, you know, you, you mentioned bullying and, and things like that. Mm. Um, but you said you did make some good friends uh, in that school. Were there any good teachers that you can remember that you kind of, you know, could use for a support for those challenging times or just, you know, inspired you with maths or whatever? Favourite teacher and, and what school would that have been in? So it would have been, um, that certainly would have been the case at Monmouth. So when I was doing my A-levels, there were two teachers that stand, stood out to me. Um, there were probably more teachers, certainly the maths department. I was very close with the maths department mm -hmm. um, because I did a lot of math subjects. And the way the maths A-levels are done, I had interactions with all of the teachers there. So I was very close with the maths department in general. Outside of the maths department, there were two teachers that stood out to me. One was my rowing coach. Now, he taught me IT for a while. He, he also knew my brother. Uh -huh. He was my rowing coach. He was a really, really supportive, per he was a really supportive teacher. Mr. Mr. Oh, um, Cowton. Okay. Um, Dan Cowton, I think his name Shout is. Shout out for remember. Mr. Cowton there. He was listening. Sure he will be. He was a really good teacher. I remember, like, in terms of the, in terms of, like, when I was rowing, when I was struggling with, like, various things, I remember one year, I was, tr I was trying to, I was doing, like, time trials and putting an application in to represent Wales in rowing. And the time that this happened, I was sort of, like, very difficult-ish situation with my family. And I thought, I've never been that good. I'm not going to get this. And then we did like a time trial mm -hmm. and I came out first. And I remember him really supportive in terms of like, I went to him the next day and said, look, I this has happened to me at home. I don't know if I can do this. And I don't know if I can do this like application. I don't know if I can actually, if I'm good enough. And he was like, you've done this. Mm -hmm. Fuel, like this anger, this emotion that you're using don't let your anger control you. Don't let your emotion control you, but use, use it as fuel. Use it as passion. Because you're passionate about the sport. You're passionate about these things. You're also passionate about the situation you've gone through. Use it as passion instead of anger. Um, and that was a really important. Most, that was probably like a really important life lesson for me in terms of no matter what situation you're dealing with in life, don't let your emotion take hold of you use it as passion and fuel because sometimes if you let your if you let your emotion take hold of it you're not the best person to deal with that situation because you're going to be very biased mm. but if you use it as fuel to make sure that the situation is handled in the correct way maybe pass it on to someone else or make sure you're challenging it if you're not happy with the result that was what it taught me mm, which i thought was really useful yeah and of course you you still row today, don't you? I do, yeah. Um, um, there was one other teacher who really stood out to me. I wasn't going to get a good grade in English if this wasn't for this person. Being always good at maths, I hated reading. I hated reading, I hated English, and all this stuff. And then when I was doing my GCSEs, I think this teacher was in his first year of teaching as well. Mm -hmm. This young camp, and I mean camp Welsh guy, Short, spiky, jet black hair, and I can't do a Welsh accent, but he was camp, and he was absolutely a dream. In terms of, like, my teaching style, I very much mirror what he does. Mm -hmm. Not in terms of being camp, 
but in terms of building a relationship with every type of student in the room. Mm -hmm. Because I very much remember the kids that would always, the kids that bullied me at school in my class, whenever he was talking, those bullies would always like, guys, 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 quiet, 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 like, so it's talking. Because they really want, they were engaged in his lesson. So those pricks, so to speak, those Mm -hmm. bullies who didn't necessarily care about education, they really were into his lessons. So they wanted to make sure everyone else was quiet so they could enjoy it. Mm. And that, to me, really stood out Mm. in terms of here's this authentic, different teacher who has almost broken this dynamic in terms of what to expect as a teacher. And they've got these kids from both the uninterested and the whole Mm. spectrum engaged. And what was his name? I wish I could remember. I cannot remember for the life of me, which is really upsetting. Oh, there you go. Well, a shout out to uh, to him, whoever he is. I don't know. I really wish I remembered who he, what his name was, but he was an absolute... Oddly enough, I looked very similar to him when I... My first year of teaching, because I had short, spiky hair and a face and bit of a... And same, same sort of beard as I do now. If it was jet black, I would have looked exactly the same as him. Uh, that's a... <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, Alex, um, clearly then your skill, disposition was in maths, the subject of mathematics. And um, I think you started to realise that as you went through Monmouth and you, you went on to, to do your PGCE. Um, and then, of course, you did the two, the three years, right, in uh, the... the Southampton. Uh, yeah. And then you... Oh, sorry, down in school, sorry. Yes, absolutely. And then you decided, look, if you don't leave now, you're never going to leave. And so you get this potential opportunity in Juhai out of coincidence, as you say. I mean, did you look it up at all or did you just go, I'll take it? In terms of China or Juhai? Juhai. So Juhai, I researched it, but my thought was, I mean, I'm going to, I'm leaving the UK to go to somewhere new. I have to take this. I'll do some research on the area, but like this is an ult- ultimately, this is a whole brand new experience. The unknown is exciting enough. All I knew was that Macau was nearby and Hong Kong was nearby. Other than that, it'd be easy enough for me to travel anywhere on this side of the world. Yeah, I mean, it could be miles away, couldn't it, now at the moment, Hong Kong and Macau, because of all of the yes. sad situations with the pandemic. But 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 anyway, moving on. And you did the, you know, gutsy, you made the move and, and you came out here and this is why you're here with us today. And, um, and, and that's very pleasing. Let's talk about your style then. I think you might have uh, given it away a little bit by talking about the man with no name, but yeah, what is your teaching style in maths? I mean, when you go in, are you um, a gesticulator? Um, so I... I guess my style in terms of maths is where do things come from? Because a big ish, I'm a big, I'm a big firm, I'm a firm believer in terms of this. Some people say this is like sort of a gimmick. Maths mastery is sort of this big trend that's going around in terms of maths at the moment. It's certainly been going around for a good number of years. I'm a, I'm, I'm a firm believer of it. And ultimately it's showing where does the maths come from? Where does the where do these elements come from? Can we link these onto bits that we already know? Where does this brilliant stuff come from? Why does this exist? And that's what I try to do. So my lesson would often start with, okay, here's some examples of some sort, or maybe here's some questions. 
maybe we refer back to those questions, maybe we don't. Mm -hmm. And that would then, and then we'd sort of like build in terms of, well, we know this. What happens if we do this? You know, those classic questions that these famous mathematicians first pondered thousands of years ago. I would almost pose that to then try and get them thinking about, well, yeah, what does happen if we do this? And then they can understand the progression in terms of what they already know into something they didn't know before. And it's just sort of a natural progression into the, from that side of things. And then, you know, we discuss it. We, a lot of it, you know, what would you do? I'm not going to help you. Imagine this is, you know, an exam style question. Imagine this is a problem solving style. What would you do? And, you know, sort of a bit of guidance. Well, let's try this. Maybe we do that and see what happens. You know, they would then inevitably do some work. Maybe we come back to the board. Maybe we do something a bit different. Maybe an investigation. Lots of things happen. But then ultimately it's this style of very much guided by the students in that sense in terms mm -hmm. of, well, I say guided by the students. I would, I would steer their guiding. I would steer it. But they would go down the journey themselves. But that almost sounds like a perfect ideal situation. How do I get the kids interested? I'm just me. So I, that go back to the you know, talk about relationship. Exactly that because I'm a, I'm certainly a firm believer of this, and I've realised this more and more every year. Children don't expect your teachers to be a person. As you grow up through the world, you realise that your world is just you and mm. maybe your parents, maybe your friends. Like, your world is very, very small. But then as it starts to expand, as you get older, it goes from there. And then you start to realise, wow, my teachers are actually people as well. Yeah. They're people with, like, dreams and lives and interests and all this stuff. They have, like, dislikes. They have emotions. They're, these, they're people. So when I share, like, I will often... So for me, is this gender neutral teacher who presents themselves in any which way. Maybe I've got some nail polish on, maybe, you know, especially with my long hair and a well-trimmed beard, like all this stuff. Not today, mm. but, you know, all this stuff like and then some of my students have seen me out, outside walking around you high in a dress. Mm -hmm. And naturally, they've got questions in terms of they want to know more about me. So naturally, they're then engaged more in my lessons because they think engaging with my lessons, engaging with this is going to, you know, they're going to learn more about me. And that does happen at times. Because your, your students are what age group normally? It's like high school, GCSEs, um, isn't it? High school, so that's from the age of 15 to 18, near enough. Okay. There's a couple of exceptions, but like that's basically it. And mostly uh, they're local Chinese, Hong Kongese? M mostly, mostly Chinese. Um, because the situation in China is that you do the compulsory education up until a certain point uh, to do the John Cow, and then after the John Cow, you can do international qualifications. I mean, you you've segues a few things on there that maybe the listeners have heard that maybe they go, oh, "Hang on, is that what I really heard?" What's unique about your classroom? I think you might have put that. I mean, you said the words gender gender neutral, right? Yes. Um, now, um, let, let's just just quickly tell me about that because gender neutral is so male I, varnish, right? And so dress or is that what gender neutral? I guess it's a bit more. So I present myself as not male, 
Right. But that also means I don't present myself as not female. Okay. So in the school, when I first introduce my class, I will say, my name is Mux Tull. Now, and I would then explain, so I don't like the idea of Mr. or Sir, all this stuff. Okay. I prefer to go gender neutral. So Mux or teacher, I prefer to be a bit more neutral on this idea. And I mean, that is very unique, I think. I, you know. I, I believe it or not, I didn't hear it and I did not hear the title Mux until a month before I left China, before I left to come to China. Okay. I did not, and I, and I, certainly in terms of my gender and my sexuality, like I've not heard about that the entire time. But I'd only just heard about this gender neutral title. So I think in your school, it's like if you want to use a gender neutral title, it's like teacher. Right. It's the same sort of thing, but Mux is sort of a more official title instead of Mr. or Mrs. I mean, how does that... Uh, fascinating. I mean, this is something I'm very new to. In fact, you've just brought that to me for the first ever time. So much so that I wink over to the new, the researchers there beyond <laughs> the closet. And, um, and I say, and I will say to them, I think we should do a, an educational pod... Um, on this kind of understanding of genderism, um, because I think it's a big subject, isn't it? Happily. Yeah. I'm more than happy to do that. Well, I, I didn't say it was going in... to involve you, but oh, well, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're putting yourself forward, then uh, we'll no, see how the ratings go. Um, it's all right. I'll, uh, I'll pack up my stuff. <laughs> That's a subtle sign of like, look, we don't care if you get deported at this point. <laughs> No, absolutely. But but that's but okay, well there's some things there we can unpack and I think that's definitely for another time. But what I wanted to say was then on top of that, how's that been received, this, you know, uniqueness about yourself, your classroom? Aside from the maths, Alex. It's um, that's a that's a really good question. I was nervous at first when I first did it. And this early enough, the school that I'm at right now is the first school okay. where I've like you know, the second day of me starting at the school during the induction period, I emailed my head, of te head teacher. Yeah. This is who I am. I would like to use these pronouns, this title. Is this okay? Can we have a conversation around this? We had a conversation. We agreed that I would send out this big email to all the teachers or all the staff at the school. Right. Sort of like giving them some information, you know, come talk to me if there's any questions or this stuff, da 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 da. And it was very well received. A lot, all the teachers were really supportive, and they are supportive. And the students, these Chinese students, have been incredible. Mm -hmm. Really blew my mind. Um, do you go into? I mean, do you, do you go into the conversation? I guess you can at that age, but do you tend you focus on the maths. I mean, we focus on the maths, but sometimes it just inevitably comes up. So, especially when they're like doing revision, and you know, you don't have to teach; you're just there for supervision. I've had these conversations many times and it just it just naturally comes up and I think the thing that struck that struck me especially in terms of teaching especially as a teenager you are insecure you're trying to look for what inspires you in life mm -hmm. you're trying to look for where do you see yourself Often us as children, I think we see ourselves in our mum or in our dad, and that's what we then will aspire to. Yeah. Um, so for me as this gender neutral teacher, I guess there's something different. You know, someone who has experienced these insecurities, this journey. Indeed, yeah. They see me as, I guess, some something to aspire to. 
doesn't matter that I am male or female. It doesn't matter about that. It's the fact that I'm, I guess, you're something different, someone who's a lot more open or a lot more progressive, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. It's something to aspire to in terms of regardless of how you feel. And mm-hmm. I, that, that for me as a teacher is huge. I think you te- I, I see myself as a role model for those for the students who are almost easily considered as out, outcasts. Those kids who like have those insecurities, the kids that I used to be mm-hmm. in terms of insecurities. That's I. That's the that is the teacher I'm there for. I'm yeah. there for those kids. That, that's that's um, yeah. That's powerful. I mean, open and 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 honest and um, well, you could say fearless. I mean, with the first day going <laughs> yes. in on that. Uh, Challenges then, because I mean, there's a whole challenge in that. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's getting a whole list. My gosh, so I think we're going to have to only do a few of these challenges, um, Alex. But being in China, of course, very different to, you know, where you came from mm. in England. Um, so, yeah, what? Give us a few challenges. So the challenge, I guess, in China is trying to actually get them aware in terms of their mental health, mm-hmm. because certainly for my school, because they are. There's these, you know, I've realised this, especially not just in my school at the moment, even my previous school in China. There's this big pressure in terms of getting these big brands, and it's all about bragging. Mm. Chinese families almost feel like they want to brag in terms of where they've gone to school, or what education they've got, where they're going to school, what job they've got, what degree they have, and all this stuff. And it's just... And you, re- you especially realise it in parents' evening when you explain to all the kids and you explain to the parents what needs to be done moving forward, this constructive conversation. And then they say, where does my kid rank in your class? <laughs> where does my kid rank in the year? And it's like, well, I don't think of it this way. I want your kid to be the best that they can be. It's up to your kid how well they want to do. And that's probably the biggest challenge that I've realised and you can see, even, and especially with that, like any any other challenges, as I said, regarding to mental health, ultimately stems from this. This is like sort of like the big challenge I'm realizing. It's it's getting there for sure. I think I've been very fortunate that I'm able to make a lot of progression because I'm very relatable. I'm very easy. It's very easy for me to, for kids to engage with my lessons because of that relatability. I think there's some things I do well, but there are other things I don't do well, for sure. I think that's just the case with every teacher. And in terms of trying to get kids like to relax, in terms of chilling and relaxing and enjoying them, like trying to actually take care of their mental health, mm. I think I do very well into, from that perspective, from a pastoral perspective. But in terms of going into the depth of like the maths... Maybe not so much, but that's just because in this environment, I think pastoral care is much more important. Mm. Because, let, let's be honest, I think that's a much more challenging thing. If a kid is getting all this pressure from their parents in terms of getting these high, getting every possible top grade and all this stuff, yeah. the motivation's already there. As long as you teach them to an okay standard but then you're focusing on the pastoral care. I think that's sort of a m- more priority for me. And I know that your school, only in the last few years, has brought on their first, I think, full-time counsellor or guidance officer of some kind to very much focus 
exactly. on uh, yeah. well-being of that particular group minds you know GC- IGCSEs because it is a very high stakes pressured environment isn't it yeah and at the end of the day they are only young children and I mean we as you and I know for, especially from our experiences growing up this expectation with GCSEs and A-levels in fact education across China mm. you're expected to know what subject you're meant to be your go- or what area you're going to be studying in or what your what area your your career is going to be in yes by the age of 16 yeah wow. you're meant to know that career choice by that young well and i don't think school Which, from the very day we start has really focused on that at all and then absolutely they feel not. we need to be focusing on it when they've given us no tools to get us anywhere near it so yeah yeah i but, mean all this passionate stuff i've talked about education as well today like I am also a firm believer that education is completely broken worldwide. Well, I would have to so, agree with you. And we do agree on many points. Um, but I am going to shut you down now. Yeah, I talk I, too much, don't I? Because I, <laughs> I have the power to do that. <laughs> and I'm being told that it is time. But leave us. There's just some wonderful things you've brought up. And I, I, you know, I believe, I think, Alex, you would be a great person to have on to talk about, you know, genderism and the, you know, the great diversity that we're seeing now in the 21st century world of information. So let's talk about that another time. But for now, Alex, Al, Tull or Torin, <laughs> leave us with your teacher's tips. I guess I would say just, you know, be yourself. A lot of teachers say, you know, try and like, you know, they say, don't show your emotions try to sort of control how much of a person you are. Every teacher has their own style, mm-hmm. but kids are curious about you as a person because you are a role model of some sort. There's no harm in showing emotion. There's no sharp, There's no harm in showing your interests. Mm-hmm. You decide on the boundaries that you want to set, but show that you're a person. Show that you're a person with hopes and dreams and that you are a relatable person with hopes, fears crushing defeats, whatever you want to say. We're all people in this crazy, crazy world. Yes. And we're, the all cra- the same, some, we're all the same. The craziness continues. Um, we'll leave it at that. Great to have you in again. Thank you. Uh, this is China Jedi, people. If you're an English-speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30-plus students, then reach now to Teach Now and secure a professional U.S. District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, Teach Now. Get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount off your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program by the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.